and a warm welcome. You're joining us here tonight at Hyde Park on Other Therana 24. And this week we thought of talking about what debt optimization is, what debt treatment uh, means locally, and um, what really happens to the Provident Fund and what this conversion of bonds means to us here in Sri Lanka. Uh, to discuss this, I've invited to our studios to join us personally in person. Uh, I'm here with me, uh, Mr. Ravi Abesuria, CEO and Director of uh, Senfin Securities Limited, a former Fitch Ratings Managing Director who will also shed some light into what internationally uh, this means to us. At the same time, we have with us joining us from Bangladesh virtually, Mr. Deshan Pushparaja, Managing Director country head for Cal Bangladesh, a capital markets expert and a renowned expert in public and private sector capital markets. Uh, we'll talk about uh, how international and investor sentiment um, is at this juncture to help Sri, Lanka's, uh, Sri Lanka achieve sustainable economic growth. I'd like to start off with um, Mr. Ravi Abesuria. Just uh, days back, we heard Fitch saying this debt treatment, um, the debt optimization proposal that received uh, parliamentary approval and uh, clarifications um, given about it has, is a crucial step forward for Sri Lanka. But there are certain um, complications that may arise. But before talking about the complications, uh, what, what really is this uh, debt treatment plan uh, for us here when we talk about domestic debt? Yeah, so when we look at total domestic debt component, mm -hmm. it is 12.8 trillion, which is basically equivalent to uh, about 54.2% of our GDP and 42.3% of our total public debt. It's a significant amount even in local currency. Mm -hmm. In addition, we have the foreign debt as well. So what the domestic debt restructuring, which has been termed as voluntary domestic debt optimization mm -hmm. is basically uh, making this debt sustainable. Now, mm -hmm. we have to anyway go for a haircut out of the external debt, but for the domestic debt also, we have to consider because we can't expect the debt sustainability to be achieved only by doing the haircut or restructuring the external debt. Mm -hmm. So now when the government and the central bank look at how to go about domestic debt restructuring, they have to adopt the least impactful mm -hmm. methodology right. to make sure the economy starts growing. Now we have had serious impact or I would say unprecedented impact to our economy because we uh, defaulted mm -hmm. on our loans in April 2022. Mm. So thereafter we saw the chaos that was created and if we have some impact onto the banking system that will also have another major impact, catastrophic impact onto the economy mm. because banks are already distressed and if we are to do this in a way which is minimum mm. impact to the economy, it has to be done where, where we have long term money. So the long and short is debt restructuring has to be done in a way which is least impactful to the economy. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd also like to uh, turn to uh, Mr. Deshan Pushparaja, who's joining us from Bangladesh. Um, now, the central bank projects uh, economic growth for the next five years with output recovering to 5% by 2027 compared to 3.1% uh, uh, um, as projected by the International Monetary Fund. With all this, I'd like to um, probably start off asking you what the sentiment is there when you deal with international investors, international uh, market participants, um, especially with Sri Lanka reaching uh, some consensus in terms of domestic debt restructuring. Um, I, I, thanks, Indivari. So I think uh, the, the general perception of investors at the moment is, is largely very positive. Uh, and uh, uh, almost surprised, in fact, as to how fast Sri Lanka has been able to uh, address its issues, uh, given that it's, it was, it's probably only 12 months ago that we had reached the heights uh, of the economic crisis that we had. Uh, so the, the, uh, uh, the general perception has been very positive. 
uh, both in terms of the uh, the monetary policy that needed to be followed in order to uh, in order to uh, bring uh, the economy back on track, although it was painful in the short term, uh, but also some of the fiscal um, uh, decisions that have been made by the government, both in terms of market pricing of of uh, energy um, and also uh, with the progress that they've made on the restructuring front. So the the outlook from investors is um, actually very positive at the moment. Of course, there is more to be done um, and there is uh, more that we need to do in terms of our overall uh, you know, long-term growth trajectory. This was addressing uh, the short-term problem. Now comes uh, the second part of it, which is uh, well, first of all, we had to get over the, uh, the the international debt restructuring first and then move on into uh, some of the longer term uh, measures that we need to take in, in order to set us on the path for a 5% growth. Right. But um, at the moment, the, the outlook is positive. Uh, and if uh, uh, these measures continue, then I think uh, investors will come back uh, back into Sri Lanka reasonably fast. Right. And, and and you did mention here, uh, Mr. Abesuria, that uh, uh, we're looking at the least um, possible way that the implications will be felt here. There is talk about the banking se sector stability, questioning about the stability of the banking sector in the longer term. EPF funds. But before talking about the EPF funds, let's talk about the banking sector. Um, what, what implications on the banking sector going forward uh, when we have chosen the path that uh, brings about uh, the least number of implications upon the system. Yeah, so banks were already stressed mm -hmm. because of the downturn in the economic growth. We have so many SME sector companies uh, not being able to service their loans. Mm -hmm. So as a result, the non-performing loans continue to increase. In addition to that, the banks were affected by the international sovereign bonds and Sri Lanka development bonds, SLDBs. Both these two will be considered in some way or another for the restructuring. Mm -hmm. We know international sovereign bonds, ISPs, will most probably have a haircut or some kind of a major extension, which has been already provided by the banks because they anticipated that. Likewise, the Sri Lanka development bonds, there could be, under the proposals, conversion to rupees. So as long as the banks are willing to accept rupees, they will be able to get, it, get the rupee uh, amount in treasury bonds. Mm -hmm. But they can also opt for dollars. But then you have to have a, I think, nine-year grace period and a very low interest, 4% mm -hmm. for the dollar. So most probably, all banks will accept a rupee. Uh, conversion. So the banking sector was the one that could have got seriously impacted if there was a domestic restructuring through the bonds, sovereign bonds of the yeah. country. Now this has been completely excluded. But the fear was if the domestic restructuring went through, uh, you know, through the government of Sri Lanka bonds, then the banks would have had to provide additional money mm -hmm. because if there's a haircut or some kind of extension or a coupon rate cut, that is the interest rate, then there will be some kind of day one hit, mm -hmm. which will be so high, it will impact the bank's capital adequacy ratios. Mm -hmm. So you have to recapitalize and ask for shareholders to put additional money. Mm -hmm. This could put the banks at jeopardy. Right. And if we know what happened in Lebanon when the banks, people get you know, uh, kind of jittery or concerned about banks, they line up to withdraw money. Right. And that itself could make the banks fail. We saw that in US mm -hmm. happening, uh, two banks fail. So, so in recent times, we did see, um, just, just last week, a lot of uh, social media uh, campaigns asking people to withdraw their fixed deposits. Now, if we address concerns of a layman here who doesn't understand what a haircut is, who doesn't understand what this co conversion means, how would you explain to them uh, uh, whether, whether their fixed deposits will be harmed or not? There have been uh, clarifications by the central bank governor and uh, president as finance minister as well that there would not be any harm caused to it. But I think more clarification is required to the general public. 
on what this really means. Okay, very clearly there will be no impact whatsoever to the depositors, mm -hmm. be it savings accounts, fixed deposits, because the banking system has been spared in the domestic debt restructuring. So that should be understood by everybody. There is no risk for their deposits. Right. The risk is being mitigated by the way the domestic restructuring has been proposed mm -hmm. by the central bank and now passed by the parliament. Next will be we going into the external creditors to negotiate the external debt restructuring. Mm -hmm. So if they are happy with what we have taken as the domestic restructuring uh, hit, uh, they will be also willing to undertake some kind of a restructuring. Mm -hmm. We have three targets to achieve, right. which is more or less stipulated by IMF, but it's good for the country. Mm -hmm. One is we have 128% of our debt as, uh, as percentage of GDP as our debt, which has to be brought down by 2027 to 2022 period to 95% of our GDP. Mm -hmm. That target has to be achieved. Mm -hmm. The third, uh, second target is we have to achieve the gross financing needs. What does that mean for the layman is how much of additional financing we will require in the period going forward. Mm -hmm. So that has to be also re reduced because we, we know, everybody should know, our revenue is not sufficient to meet our expenditure. Right. Which is why we're here. Which today. is why we are talking all this. So when you have that kind of situation, you have to keep on borrowing. Mm -hmm. So we have to bring that borrowing need, gross financing need, and mm. how much financing you need. So that has to be brought down from 34.6% of GDP to 13% of our GDP. Mm -hmm. It's a serious reduction. Mm. And the next is foreign debt financing, which has to be brought down from 9.4% of GDP to 4.5% of GDP. These three targets has to be achieved. Mm. Now, if we are to achieve this, we have to do not only external debt financing, we have to do domestic uh, debt uh, restructuring, sorry, not financing, right. restructuring, so that we bring down or we uh, come to these targets. Now, which is saying these are very challenging. Yes. And unexpected things can happen, and we have historically gone. I think 16 times to the IMF. Why? Because we didn't follow the restructuring or I would say major structural changes the economy need, mm. need to be done. You have to have political will to do that. And that's where we fail. Um, I'd like to turn to, I think, um, Mr. Deshan Pushparaja will have something to add to it, especially when we talk about the risks um, uh, from a risks perspective here. Um, what views do international investors have, especially when we talk about Sri Lanka's commitment to implementation of IMF recommendations? Especially we did see uh, the World Bank recently, um, just, just days back, also um, dispersing its first tranche of uh, uh, country um, partnership framework. And they say um, they have conditions that if Shri, upon Sri Lanka's additional, uh, Sri Lanka's successful completion of the IMF arrangement, that there will be more funding. Um, when we talk about that, what is the risk here for Sri Lanka and how much of confidence do international investors have in our markets? So I think uh, the, the confidence levels have increased in the last 6 to 12 months, okay. uh, given uh, the fact that we have followed through on a lot of our commitments, both to the IMF as well as uh, in terms of our creditors as well. Uh, but there is still a long way to go. As Ravi said, we have have been to the IMF 16 times before. Uh, there have been many reforms that have been agreed to and committed to, but have not been uh, followed through with because uh, of political will. Uh, so there is still a lot more to go, especially in terms of uh, uh, state sector reform um, and also uh, commitment to continuing uh, the market pricing of uh, energy, which uh, which has always been uh political kryptonite it's 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 been uh, working well for the last six to 12 months uh but there has to be a commitment to continue some of those so uh it, it certainly has increased in the last the confidence levels have increased in the last six to 12 months and there is some cautious optimism uh that uh, the rest of the reforms will be followed through as well uh but it is subject to uh you know any changes especially politically uh, and the uh, and uh, the commitments of the different parties in uh, in 
uh, in parliament to actually stick to those commitments. You spoke about longer-term measures that need to be taken upon successful uh, implementation of uh, and adoption of uh, the plan currently. But what measures are we really thinking of uh, uh, if, if and upon successful completion of uh, the, the current debt treatment plan? Um, so it, it comes to it comes down to uh, in, in my view a couple of things. Uh, one is state sector reform. Uh, especially SOE reforms, uh, uh, where uh, you know the question of whether government should be in business or not, and how uh, the structuring of those SOEs can uh, can add to the GDP of the country and enhance investment. And the second is the fiscal side, uh, a commitment towards gradually reducing uh, our debt to GDP, as Ravi mentioned, over time to something that is a lot more sustainable than it is now. And that requires a commitment both in terms of, uh, you know, restructuring and uh, probably listing or sale of certain assets. Uh, also, uh, in, in terms of uh, ensuring that the market pricing, especially of energy, which has been one of the biggest trainers of uh, state coffers for, for many years, uh, commitment to keeping to some of those as well uh, would be, I would think, the uh, the 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 two major uh, reform processes that need to continue for the for the next few years. And, and to be honest, in that sense, uh, the less government does over time, the better, uh, and allowing more private sector uh, involvement to come in, and for the government to then focus on integrating us to the global economy. Uh, because Sri Lanka is a, uh, a country of a 20 million population and there is a limit to how much we can grow by trading amongst ourselves. So the long-term strategy needs to be to become part of the global supply chain. Uh, there has been resistance in the past to signing comprehensive uh, economic agreements with uh, you know, our trading partners, uh, but some of those, if we can uh, get done, uh, can become uh, our next biggest uh, surge of growth. Right. Uh, since we've been talking about the restructuring plan again, I'd like to ask you what the sentiment is among investors uh, overseas, especially when we talk about and hear from Parliament, the opposition saying that this is very unfair uh, on international bondholders, on uh, pensioners in Sri Lanka. So how, how is this viewed there, we'd like to, we'd like to ask you? I think international bondholders wanted some level of equitable treatment uh, where uh, domestic debt holders uh, take some part of the burden. Uh, so they will be happy to see that that has happened. And I think they are more likely to agree to a haircut and certain uh, structural changes to their bonds uh, on the basis that uh, pain has been shared uh, in a reasonably equitable form. Now, within uh, within the domestic debt holders, I don't think international investors will have too much of a view uh, on who should and should not have taken the burden. Uh, I think they'll take a pragmatic approach to this. Uh, and the pragmatic approach is, as Ravi said, is that, um, uh, you know, yes, the equitable treatment may have been to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, place the burden across all bondholders, but the reality is uh, doing so would have impacted the banking system. And the banking system is what you really need in order to get growth back on track. So I think in, uh, foreign investors would have appreciated the fact that the banks were not affected by this, because if the banks uh, start lending at the ability to start lending, uh, now with interest rates having come down substantially in the last uh, month or so, especially in the last week, uh, uh, the economy can get a kickstart. And for the economy to get a kickstart, you need the banks to act aggressively go out and lend. Uh, Mr. Abhisuria, you might have something to add to this as well as we talk about uh, SOE reforms and then uh, agreements at the same time about uh, the, the, the EPF here. Uh, maybe we'll touch upon the EPF and talk about what this concern really is about because this is a major slogan in political campaigns, the EPF funds, either it's swindled or either somebody has uh, uh, done something unfair to it. But what's what's really happening here to the uh, Employees Provident Fund with the debt treatment plan? Yeah, I, I will not get into the history. 
Uh, everybody knows yes. the bond scams and so on. So I will focus on the domestic debt restructuring mm -hmm. impact. Now, EPF, if you look at the return they have given to members from 2018 onwards, I, uh, even 2017, I think it was around 10%, but thereafter, it has been around 9%, mm -hmm. 9.75, 9.5, and last three years, 2021 20, and 22, is 9%. So that's all that the members got. Mm -hmm. Now, various people have done calculations using some uh, basis called NPV, net percent value of the impact based on assumptions of what the interest rate would be in the market. Mm -hmm. So if you take a 20% interest rate in the market and discount that and get a NPV, yes, you get a massive trillion type of value. Right. Right. But that's not the impact to the EPF. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is EPF has been paying about nine, on average 9%. 9% on average to, uh, to the members. members right. As long as members are able to get around 9%. I'm not disputing the fact that our inflation has been, last announcement is 12%, previously it has been 22%. So, so the 9% is assured, guaranteed now. That's right. So at least 9% is, is what they are expecting from these bonds. Mm -hmm. Now the, there is a conversion happening of a pool of bonds, of which will have even bonds that are yielding much, much lower. Could be even 8%. Mm -hmm. Because these EPF keeps buying bonds because that's the key investments. Uh, you know, sovereign securities is the major investment. I think 95% of the investments go of EPF goes into these instruments. Mm. So then what happens is these instruments would have been invested at a lower rate as well as a higher rate. Right. So on the average, it can't be very high. Mm -hmm. We are talking of under the restructuring, a 12% return up to 2025. That is 22, 23, 24, 25. Okay. Thereafter until maturity, 9%. Mm -hmm. So all these assumptions, one can take market interest will be 20%, one can take market interest rates will be So are you, saying, are, are you saying there's no unfair treatment here? Uh, if you consider the uh, uh, exponential uh, interest rate uh, increases that we've seen. Yeah, in it all depends on what the market rates will be. Oh. It will be unfair if the market rates are around 20% mm -hmm. in the future, after 2025. Right. If it is under, say, 8%, then it will not be unfair at all. <laughs> you are getting even a better rate. Because, see, what you have to compare is what is the market rates mm -hmm. and liquidity. Now, that's where another issue is if the EPF money had to be had a haircut, mm -hmm. where you have a liquidity issue. Now, there is not such an impact because EPF gets money on a monthly basis from new members as well as those who contribute on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. Then they, they have to pay the retirees, mm -hmm. those who have reached 55 on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. So this difference, they have always a positive, mm -hmm. unless you find hell a lot of people retiring suddenly, which is very unlikely to happen. Or people are getting out of Sri Lanka and going, mm. all of us, us go and uh, get jobs abroad. Okay. So these are very extreme scenarios where we'll have a liquidity issue or a major impact on our returns. Mm -hmm. So these are the two issues that will matter the EPF, and most of them consider even EPF as a tax. Mm -hmm. You know, so but this is the retirement money mm -hmm. of the private sector. So it is very important they get a decent return, and it should be safeguarded. It is mm -hmm. extremely important that money is safe. Mm -hmm. So both has been there. There is a return and the money has not been impacted by any way in, by a haircut. Right, haircut. Now, before we go in for a short break, uh, I've been told uh, it's time. Let's just explain very quickly what a haircut is. I know this is explained, but many of our viewers, some of them uh, would really like to understand what this means. Over the past six months, we've been talking about this, haircut. especially uh, when we uh, went in for IMF uh, yeah. uh, an arrangement there. So it's very simple. If you put money 100 rupees, mm -hmm and you get 70 rupees, there's a 30% haircut. So simple as that. So you get much less than what you put. The principle is cut. Mm -hmm. So when you invest in any fixed income instrument, usually you expect the principle to be paid. And on top of that, an interest rate. Mm -hmm. Now here what happens is the principle is cut. 
and it can be 30 percent, it can be any, any amount, 40 percent, whatever. So we are expecting for the foreign investors or external investors to take a 30 percent haircut. 30 percent means they had invested 100, they will get only 70. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't they be concerned? They will be. That's why if they are to take this domestic debt restructuring also has to be done to be make it equitable. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, the way it has been proposed is something which the country can bear, plus generate economic growth. Again, there is no impact on depositors whatsoever. and local banks. Whatsoever. Okay, I think it's time we take a short break. We'll return to speak with uh, Mr. Deshan Pushparaja and Mr. Ravi Abesuria, who are capital market experts and uh, experts in the economic and financial scenario. We'll be back right after this break at Hyde Park on Other Derana 24. Just stay with us. Welcome back. Uh, we're talking about uh, Sri Lanka's domestic debt restructuring plans and what's next for the country and investors. Um, I'd, I'd like to turn to Mr. Deshan Pushparaja, who's joining us virtually from Bangladesh. Uh, we were, before we went in for a short break, talking about the EPF, uh, whether these funds are secure. Uh, Mr. Abesuria was giving us a comprehensive and a, uh, and a very um, uh, basic explanation so that we all can understand what it means. But uh, from your perspective, sitting there, what does it mean uh, when we talk about the equal treatment of uh, EPF? Yeah, I, I think in the very there is there is a fundamental difference perhaps between equal treatment and uh, equitable treatment. Uh, I think uh, uh, what was uh, you know requested for by many who opposed the proposal was equal treatment on all uh, on all bond, domestic bondholders, uh, and that there was an unfair burden being imposed on the EPF okay. uh, from a. Uh, equitable point of view, I think there are multiple things that had to be considered. One is the sustainability of the economy after this restructure. And the reality is, as Ravi said, um, if the banks had been affected, then they would not have been able to support the growth and the bounce back of the economy after that. And that's a, a practical concern that had to be taken into account. Mm -hmm. Second is that also uh, remember uh, the, uh, there, there is a uh, option that has been given to provident fund holders to either accept the restructure or accept a higher tax. Uh, and uh, and if you look at the other counterparts who hold bonds, like the banks, their effective tax rate is already 50%. So there was uh, it wasn't equal to start with in terms of the way uh, income from bonds was treated. And so uh, when you look at it that way and look at what has been proposed, uh, given the circumstances, look, it's never ideal for uh, uh, anyone uh, to take any impact, uh, negative impact from a restructure. But we have to face reality that uh, Sri Lanka has gone through the, its current crisis. Um, I am a, a EPF holder myself, so I'm not necessarily happy about the fact that uh, this re slight reduction in income had to happen. Uh, but I think it was the most pragmatic solution. And I think the, the way in which it has been uh, proposed is uh, reasonable. It was not equal treatment of all bondholders, but I think it is still fair. And there I would draw a difference between what is fair and what is equal. Right, uh, but but you and I sharing the burden, this is our problem, this is um, our, our uh, economy. But when we talk about international investors, how do they take this? Is this how it happens elsewhere um, when countries face similar uh, circumstances? Yeah, well, so the, the investors who invest in sovereign bonds of Sri Lanka uh, uh, invest with the knowledge that it is seen uh, seen to be higher risk than other markets, and for that it, that is the reason why uh, Sri Lankan sovereign bonds always provide a higher return, uh, higher coupon, higher uh, interest rate than than a more developed market. So investors who invest in sovereign bonds of Sri Lanka or similar countries like ours understand and accept that there is a slightly higher risk. They of course believe that that risk can be managed. But in times like these where uh, things uh, go south, uh, they, they, I, I think a lot of the investors are used to, especially in the last couple of years with 
post covid there have been uh, not only sri lanka but a few other countries who've also gone through uh, similar restructuring programs uh, so they will pay hardball uh, they don't want to uh, they would ob obviously want to minimize the impact uh, for them but they will also realize and accept that uh, if uh, there is no give and take they may not get any of their money back uh, so it, it is finally uh, 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 negotiation a negotiation that mind you has not concluded yet and there, there is still a process of concluding these negotiations uh, but uh, what they will want to see is that there is some burden being taken domestically as well, number one. And number two, that uh, that they can maximize how much money they get back. Uh, and from our understanding at the moment, uh, we are talk I think uh, the number that is being spoken of is a 30% haircut. Uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, what that number finally ends up at. Um, but if uh, uh, that is a number that it makes the most sense for them to have the highest chance of getting their money back uh, at the same time making sure that everybody sh share some part of the pain uh, then i think they will agree to it mm -hmm. um mr abisur i think um, we're talking about international investors here and rating agencies play a, a massive role here especially uh, when we talk about ratings of the country of uh, our banks and recently we saw Fitch Ratings uh, issuing um, its, its statement. But in the past, we haven't been very happy with uh, uh, ratings. And now, going forward, how important is it as a country, as an economy, uh, to fulfill our commitments and ensure that we, uh, uh, that we fulfill uh, these requirements uh, when we talk about a rating perspective for international markets? Yeah, international investors, be it when they are investing in any kind of instrument like sovereign bonds or for that matter they are investing in the country, they look at the country rating. And the rating agency usually talks about the how the macroeconomic and the political scenario is impacting the economy. Mm -hmm. So we saw rating agencies very proactively uh, downgrading us long before the people in Sri Lanka realize we are heading for disaster mm -hmm. because they can foresee very clearly uh, the way the economy is managed right. that we are going to hit the wall. So now it will be the opposite. Hopefully if we do the uh, right restructuring, structural changes, we will see the rating upgrades happening. Uh, as we go along, first of all, we have to agree with the international creditors uh, and start repaying our debt at some point in the future, maybe next year, so or even later. But as we start, we will have our rating upgrades happening. Mm -hmm. And that will be a very positive message for the international community to start looking at Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. And also, we should see some economic growth happening. We have negative growth mm -hmm. last year and this year too. We are expecting at least this year also to be negative minus three or something. So. Uh, next year we will. So if we really do well, we could go towards 5% or India is already around 6%. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we should be aiming at. Plus we need to really drive the exports because our trade balance will get impacted again if the rupee, uh, we have more imports and the less exports. So we have to encourage lot of companies to export. So these two things are very important to get the exports going. That's why trade agreements matter. And the country's economy starts growing. Mm -hmm. Everybody will benefit. That's why you know we talk about DDR and one side the politicians talk something, whereas the majority of the public realize if there is economic growth, all will benefit. Right. It's, it's the private sector that's, that's really running this economy. And uh, how do you feel is the sentiment among the public, uh, the private sector, especially when the politicians on the other side are discussing and debating this in parliament? But uh, how is this taken among the private sector? Well, private sector wants the governments to be out of business, mm -hmm. as they shall very clearly said. Now, that process is ongoing. We are talking about establishing uh, uh, similar to Singapore, Tamasak, uh, a holding company structure, so that all the, at least the 52 strategic uh, government-owned undertakings will come into the holding company. Mm -hmm. The most important thing when it comes to SOE reforms is preventing political interference. Right. Because these are not only management issues, mm -hmm. 
Of course, management has to improve in all the SOEs, but when it comes to political interference, they put all their people and give jobs in the SOEs. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that has created a bloated public sector, mm -hmm. as well as there are public sector institutions that have been continuously making losses, as Sri Lankan Airlines, and now with IMF pressure, they're looking at selling Sri Lankan Airlines mm -hmm. or some kind of a joint venture, as well as market-based pricing for CEB and uh, fuel, CPC. So these are the biggies that has brought us into this debt default mm -hmm. because we just keep on borrowing to meet the expenses of loss-making SOEs. Mm -hmm. Even if the SOE is making profits, it's still there is a lot of political interference. So that's why it makes a lot of sense to what has been already privatized, like SLT, to be completely privatized through the stock exchange mm -hmm. so that it is very transparent and well run with the proper governance principles, which is internationally recognized. Mm -hmm. So that the public is who is going to benefit. But if you listen to a politician, they are having a vested interest. They have to look after their people who have voted. Mm -hmm. And also they have to get money for uh, various uh, campaigns they carry out. Where do you get it? From SOEs. So these are the two, and also we have to recognize officials and unions. Mm -hmm. They all will look after their interests, yeah. personal interests. Mm -hmm. So if the public believes the politicians, as well as the union heads and the officials, then you are going on a completely wrong track. And that's what we have been doing over 70 years. Mm -hmm. Other countries also took state institutions as the most viable option, mm -hmm. but they realized in no time that, that socialism doesn't work. Right. We have left with only two countries. <laughs> so that's why we have to change. Mm -hmm. We have to change the right track and manage this very efficiently, mm -hmm. which is possible where Singapore, Malaysia, all have done through this holding company structure, which is the way to go. Right. You mentioned uh, the Temasek uh, holdings of uh, Singapore, uh, a good uh, a model for Sri Lanka's SOE reforms. I, we have a separate uh, unit established to look at uh, uh, the reforms to our state-owned enterprises. Mr. Pushparaj, I think you might have something to add to this. You spoke about SOE reforms earlier, but I'd like to ask you how we can also draw some uh, comparison from success stories elsewhere, especially when we talk about uh, transparently managing this reform process. Um, I think um, Ravi had already mentioned a few examples, uh, such as Singapore and Malaysia, who have done this effectively. And even our closest neighbor, uh, India, uh, has gone through a, a, a very uh, long drawn over, over more than a decade now of systematically either privatizing or listing state-owned enterprises. And that has uh, done multiple things. It's done wonders to uh, to make these companies themselves more efficient. And also because they are by nature very large, even in Sri Lanka, some, uh, uh, some of the largest entities uh, in the country are state-owned enterprises. So when you have large enterprises, they can also draw in large amount of foreign investment uh, into those as well. So both in terms of restructuring uh, the the companies themselves, but also being able to then use that as a conduit to uh, both uh, raise money for the government as well as bring in uh, foreign investors into the country. I think it's it's uh, you know our neighbor. We don't have to look too far. Our neighbor India has uh, has done an incredible job uh, of having done that. Uh, the others are the examples of Vietnam, where they uh, again listed a lot of the state-owned enterprises. So uh, I, I think we in this region, we have enough examples to follow of how a good SOE restructuring and reform program works. Uh, and it needs to be followed by one or two other things uh, for it to work for the country. Uh, in my view, uh, SOE reform on its own is not sufficient. There are two other commitments uh, that need to be made. Number one is uh, if we move a state-owned enterprise, which is a monopoly today, and give it to the private sector, uh, and keep it as a monopoly, uh, that's not going to benefit anybody. Uh, we are creating the same problem again, except now that someone in the private sector is, is making a huge arbitrage profit. So uh, 
uh, one more com one commitment when privatizing or you know uh, bringing a better structure to SOEs. The other commitment that needs to be made is monopolies need to be broken. Uh, only if monopolies are broken can uh, everything become more efficient. And as uh, for us as Sri Lankan consumers, Sri Lankan citizens, we can enjoy the best of everything if monopolies are broken. And the other is pricing reform. No point bringing in a lot of private sector uh, investors into into areas and then telling them you can't sell something beyond a certain price then nobody will want to sell no because um, you know business is there to make profit you have to allow market prices to prevail mm -hmm. so i think it's these three things uh, reforming uh, based on models that have been established in the region um, so uh, it is very possible but also committing to pricing reform as well as ensuring that all monopolies are broken i think this is what can is the is the real uh, catalyst for success. Right. I'd like to turn to Mr. Abesuri as well on the very same question to ask you really uh, the, the question of transparency. And uh, Mr. Pushparaj just spoke about energy sector reforms. We're looking at uh, uh, opening up the market with more distributors coming in, but is that really uh, sufficient? What more can we do? Uh, and uh, talking about pricing mechanisms, we, we uh, faced the most difficult challenges a country could during the past year because of these very difficulties and the lack of uh, mechanisms um, that, that uh, brought about a proper, a comprehensive uh, network or pricing platform here. So how, how do you look at this going forward? Yeah, I think Deshal is absolutely right. Uh, what we need to look at it, even if you look at uh, private, now we saw clearly the, in the CPC uh, structure that was adopted is inviting other players to come in and compete uh, because when you have a duopoly that is CPC and Lanka IOC, we didn't see exactly the benefits accruing to the uh, consumer. Mm -hmm. More or less all the benefits went to Lanka IOC of the inefficiencies of CPC. Right. Right. So what we want is proper competition. So that is why Deshav said there has to be a price competition. And also what I strongly believe is that we have enough and more very good examples like tire corporation, ceramic corporation. These are now running like private sector institutions, not like private institutions, extremely well. Mm -hmm. People have a choice either you want to buy Calni tires or something else. But Calni tires and SIAC, now it's called SIAC, mm -hmm. is extremely good. So you can compete with imports and majority are buying those tires because we had a scarcity. Same thing with ceramics. So this is uh, classic example. Sri Lanka itself has done it. It is just that we didn't have the political will to do the rest. Mm -hmm. Now th there is no choice because we defaulted on debt. Now somebody else comes and says do this. Mm -hmm. Otherwise politicians are very reluctant to do the right thing. I think we will be in the right track if we do these structural reforms, labor reforms as well, mm -hmm. so that you know we, we are much more progressive in terms of managing our labor and f more freedom given to people to hire and also retrench because if people who retrench, if there are a lot of jobs, they keep moving into some other job. Now, only choice is to run away from the country. That's why people are migrating at a massive rate. But when we talk about these reforms, you mentioned privatizing and you know you can buy if, if, if it uh, works for you. Um, for a foreign partner, does Sri Lanka's um, uh, investing in Sri Lanka, partnering with these entities really, uh, is there an appeal right now? Absolutely. Uh, there is a lot of appeal because we efficient and well-run companies can make much more profits when they see the fat profit uh, waste mm -hmm. that is happening to share inefficiencies. Right. Because you know, when you want 10 people, you have 1,000 people. Like, look at the difference between CPC and Lanka IOC. You know, I don't think you don't need to go very far. Right. So that fat goes away. And then they also can make money. And also, when they make money, government taxes are there for the government to benefit. Now, people think our oh, private sector means everything is taken away. No, you have to pay at least 30% tax on any corporate today. There's no exceptions. Right, right. I'd like to ask the same uh, from Mr. Pushparaja. Now, uh, we're talking about negligible amounts of FDI uh, inflows into Sri Lanka uh, as we speak about the past year and now. 
but again, from an appeal, international appeal perspective, uh, does it really work uh, here? And uh, uh, we're talking about Sri Lankan Airlines, but we don't really see any, uh, any steps taken forward. Um, so in terms of attractiveness of Sri Lanka for FDIs, I think uh, there are uh, uh, two models uh, to, to, for any FDI investor to get interested. Number one is if the transaction is large enough. Remember, for an uh, international investor, uh, uh, you know, the world is their oyster. There are many opportunities uh, everywhere around the world. And Sri Lanka is a very small economy. Uh, so one of the challenges that uh, many have had is, you know, it's a great holiday destination. They are here, you know, a lot of them travel here on holiday. Uh, but uh, if, if it came down to, uh, you know, making an investment, there isn't anything sizable in the domestic economy that uh, would make a difference for them. Um, and a lot of those assets which can make a difference uh, for an international investor of, such, of some size and repute is currently owned by the government. So that's where I think the uh, any sort of privatization or asset sale of the government can be a big conduit to actually bringing some of these international investors in, those who love Sri Lanka, uh, but have not been able to find uh, something sizable for them to actually uh, you know get their teeth into. So that is one model of attracting FDIs. The second, I think, and uh, this, uh, uh, I alluded to this earlier as well. Um, Sri Lanka is a pop, uh, in a country of a population of of, of twenty million, and in this uh, environment, uh, the our ability to grow is heavily dependent on uh, our ability to trade with uh, partners. Sri Lanka on its own may not be sufficient, but Sri Lanka as a as a vehicle to uh, tap the entire South Asian market. A lot of people are excited about India at the moment, uh, and not only uh, the Indian region, but East Africa, uh, some countries of ASEAN. Uh, I think that's where our real advantage can be, is if we are able to uh, sign very good trade agreements with these countries, uh, which then uh, makes Sri Lanka as a good hub uh, for people to invest. and and to make the center of gravity for expansion into the South Asian region. Uh, that's an advantage that we have, which we are missing at the moment because we don't have uh, good trade agreements. Um, I think it's uh, our final few minutes of the program. Before I come to uh, Mr. Abhay Surya, I'd like to ask you, uh, Mr. Pushparaja, um, we're talking about reforms here. You mentioned what we need to do. Uh, reforms is a key question, especially when we talk about the IMF, the World Bank, or other international agencies, countries like Japan, India, um, they're talking about reforms. So um, what, what really do we need, that, that missing ingredient here, to ensure that we achieve lasting reforms, and uh, even when we talk about a vision 2048 for the economy? I think the secret ingredient is political will. Uh, the examples are there, the structures are there. Uh, yes, we'll have to localize some of these. Yes, we'll have to make sure that whatever we do makes sense for our country and is the model that makes the most sense for us. But it is not for a lack of uh, examples. It is not for a lack of means. But I think fundamentally it does come down to uh, it, it comes down to political will to implement a lot of these reforms. So yes, there is still some near-term uh, focus that needs to be placed on getting the debt restructuring out of the way. Uh, and I'm hopeful that that will get done uh, by September or October of this year. Uh, but beyond that, it does come down to political will to follow through with the reforms that need to be done. This is as good a time as any, because people have gone through uh, hard, uh, enormous hardships last year. And it is a time where uh, um, it can be explained to the people that uh, if we don't make these reforms, we may be back here in another five years' time. And people may be willing to accept this argument now, uh, more willing to accept it versus five, ten years ago. So uh, that's a missing ingredient. It is political with. Right, especially with what we've uh, gone through, people will definitely uh, accept it. But uh, you might have something to add to this. You spoke about political will, but going forward, the final few minutes on the show here too, uh, whether it's trade agreements or exported-oriented economy, uh, how do we really, wh what's, what's that missing link to gel yeah. all this? I think that another very important thing is 
uh, you know, corruption, reducing corruption, because one of the reasons uh, foreign investors, particularly the well-established uh, European Western uh, investors, are not too happy about is the high level of corruption Sri Lanka is known to. So we have to address that. And another one is education reforms, because we are arcane in our education, and we have very poor standards when it comes to uh, STEM, mm -hmm. you know, science, technology, uh, education. That's a whole new topic, but right. we don't have the political will to do the necessary changes because you know it's far better to give scholarships and make sure everybody gets education that is demanded by the country, not just free education mm -hmm. where nobody wants. So it is very important to get people, uh, even in India, you have so many technical colleges which produce graduates in the international class goes and works in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. We have failed in that because we have free education and we produce some graduates, some are very good, top not, but most of them go away, uh, like doctors, engineers, but we have a lot of arts graduates. Whereas what we need is those qualifications that is needed for the country to go forward and financial literacy, literacy. Mm -hmm. huge issue. You know, people don't understand basic stuff like uh, debt restructuring because they themselves don't understand and they are up to their neck in debt. You take SOEs also, SOE, uh, SMEs also they, like that. Mm -hmm. They kept on borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and when the COVID-19 type of hit comes, they're wiped off mm -hmm. because they have extended their debt to so much and they are in a debt trap. So this is financial literacy. That's why I very strongly believe education reform has to go hand in hand so that they are politically literate to send the right set of people to the parliament. Certainly. Uh, thank you very much for your time here at our studios and uh, also for joining us virtually. Uh, we had with us um, Mr. Deshan Pushparaja, uh, an internationally renowned expert in public and private uh, capital markets across both buy and sell side. Um, he is the managing director, country head at Cal Bangladesh. So thank you very much for joining us uh, virtually here tonight. Uh, we thank also you, had man. with us, uh, thank you, we uh, were also uh, joined by Mr. Ravi Abesuria, the CEO and Director of Senfin Securities Limited, with over two decades of experience in top management positions in private equity uh, investments, uh, credit rating and investment research outsourcing. He was also the former uh, Managing Director for Fitch Rating. So thank you very much um, to both parties for, uh, for really enriching this uh, conversation and for enlightening our, our viewers. Uh, about these issues. I think it was um, just after this crisis that we really talk about and spoke of what it really means to go to an IMF because we didn't know that we had uh, even uh, obtained IMF support for 16 years before. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time here at Hyde Park. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, we had with us um, capital market experts joining us to talk about debt restructuring and the way forward for Sri Lanka. And next week we'll talk about uh, a similar uh, topic of current um, importance to the viewers. And we'll see you again at the same time at Hyde Park on Adha Terana 24. Have a pleasant evening. Good night. <laughs>